Take two. Tom thinks he can talk over the intro. Tom, you can't do that. The intro, this is my time. This is my uninterrupted time. This is the Sunday Puncher Podcast. I am Angelo. This is Tom. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Tom, who do you got tonight? Going with the Patriots. Of course. Of course. Tom Cody going with the Patriots. I cannot believe my ears. Of course I can. That was the most predictable prediction that you've ever made. Uh, maybe that that was less surprising than you picking a PBC fighter to win against anyone else. <laughs> Tom, Tom's just like, I'm not going to reply to that. That's going to expose yeah, I'm myself actually, here. I'm not a super big football guy, but I enjoy watching the Super Bowl every year. I'll watch uh, Inside the NFL on Showtime, used to be on HBO, but I'll I'll watch that the week of, sort of catch up on who the teams are and always enjoy it. It's just, you know, it's fun. It's a shared cultural experience. But yeah, I'm not really a football guy, but yeah, I'm just, I grew up in New England. I grew up in very much like, you know, Revolutionary War Town. Like, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I I heard of the Patriots, like the New England Patriots. I was like, wow, I'm from New England. There's the New England Patriots. I grew up in Connecticut, so we didn't really have any sports teams. Used to have the Whalers, but they left a while ago. But yeah, they're, 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 I always have a rooting interest for them to the extent that I do watch football. What about you? Do you have a pick? I mean, I guess I have to assume, am from L.A. Have to assume. Yeah, exactly. However, I'm objective. I can look at the situation, weigh both sides. I don't have to be biased like you. <laughs> and, and, and I'll say that I'm, I think the Patriots are going to take this. Just putting so they're right your there. pick. Yeah, because yeah. I, I usually like will separate who I'm rooting for, who my pick is. Who my pick is, I have no idea because I don't watch football. But yeah, it's like the extent I have a rooting interest, I'd say the Patriots. Now let me ask you this question as we get into, you know, we got a ton of talk about Sergey Kovalev is back, kind of. <laughs> Oscar Valdez, back, kind of. Teofimo Lopez going to knock out Robert Easter Jr. should they ever fight. Anthony Joshua, Gennady Golovkin, got a ton of news to talk about. But I'll I'll open the podcast with this question. In your opinion, which sport has the bigger problem with domestic (laughs) violence? The NFL, football, or boxing? Oh, geez. Um... That's a hot question. It may be too hot to start with. So we're going to just... Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to ease into it. Okay. Oh, Sergey Kovalev, he won a pretty <laughs> wide decision over Eliider Alvarez. How did, in your, like, from what you thought that coming into this fight, how did this fight compare to what you thought? Like, you know, it played out. Sergey Kovalev won a decision, but going into it, like, how, compare the two. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a good question. Um, I, you know, I, I, we spoke last week, so it's not like this is a mystery. I said I largely expected it to be a boxing, a boxing match like the first six rounds of last week's fight. Uh, not last week's, but the, the, the first fight. You know, in the seventh round of that fight, Kovalev got caught, got stopped, but I thought, you know, it's going to look like a competitive boxing match, which the first fight was through the first six rounds. Kovalev won't get caught, mm-hmm. but I thought that things would shift more in the favor of, uh, Alvarez. If he won something like two of the first six last time, I thought he might be more competitive. And then I hedged the bet completely, you know, gutlessly hedged uh, by saying that Kovalev might just collapse, implode, fall apart. So Kovalev did not collapse, implode, fall apart. But like I said, I always felt like that was kind of an edge case. I definitely was surprised. I feel like I was mostly right in how it was going to play out, but 
Kovalev did about 20% better than I thought, and that was enough to get him a clear decision. How did you calculate that? (laughs) I guess I'm getting very specific with these numbers, but no, I I mean, you know, I think of some of these fights like the performance. (laughs) Like, um, thinking back, like, um, I'm going to just pull in some random garbage, uh, but uh, Charlo Harrison, you know, it was like that fight. I expected would be like mostly play out the way that it did. I just thought at some point uh, Jermel would catch Tony Harrison. You know, it's like this or you fight. Thought looked, the judges would get it right. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I thought there would be a stoppage, but yes, at least I thought he. But again, it's like I mostly played out the way I expected. This mostly played out the way I expected. Kovalev did again, just like if you don't want to use a percentage a bit better than I thought. I mean, it never felt like. Alvarez was in it to win like it never seemed like it he was he possibly had a chance to win really once the fight got going and I again I thought it'd be more of a competitive type fight or edge Alvarez I thought there might be a doubt when you went to the scorecards and it didn't end up being that close what about you well like you know Eliander Alvarez knocked out Sergey Kovalev or stopped him in the in the first fight so like if you're one of those people that thought that Alvarez was going to smoke Kovalev, like, don't feel bad today. Because that's what a knockout does. It brings that sort of thinking. And it happens all the time. We see guys score knockouts and then everyone thinks that they're just these great fighters. And that's not necessarily always true. And I would be lying if I said I predicted that it would go the way that it went. Coming into the fight, I thought, when we last saw Sergey Kovalev, he looked terrible. Yeah, he won some rounds in that in that first fight with Alvarez, but like that wasn't Sergey Kovalev. And that's the big takeaway here is that Sergey Kovalev as constituted 2 to 3 years ago prior to fighting Andre Ward, that guy is gone, he's dead. Either he he, he died in that car crash or he he drank away or something. I don't know. But that Kovalev is gone. And what we saw t- last night was a new Sergey Kovalev. A very disciplined Sergey Kovalev. The 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 best way that I could describe the Sergey Kovalev we saw last night, and I do want to say that I I am very clear and present to the allegations surrounding Sergey Kovalev. So this is what I'm saying is not a reflection on the character of like Sergey Kovalev on a personal level, but as a boxer, I think the best way to describe what we saw last night was a more matured Sergey Kovalev. He didn't force anything. Again, odd to say, given the allegations surrounding Sergey Kovalev uh, last June or whatever it was. We saw, uh, like, he wasn't trying to force a knockout. He fought like he had nothing to prove. He really went in there and reverted to a style that at, at times is really just stacking up points. But, like, when he does that, what we saw last night is that he's really hard to beat. The guy's got a lot of skill. And... He still has the like that aura of like he's vulnerable, like at, at, at almost every step, every round last night. Didn't you feel like maybe Alvarez could catch him, and that all the work that Sergey Kovalev had done would go down the drain? <laughs> I mean, I think that had to be in the back of everyone's mind, but you know, and he did get clipped a few times. But um... I mean, there was a time where he looked hurt in the fight, and he he definitely didn't like those body shots, but. Um, Kovalev looked different. I think not trying to knock him out, because I think Sergey Kovalev might have fought that way in the past where he tried, you know, kind of like Oscar Valdez. It, it, uh, these guys were a perfect pairing on a card. 
Um, those guys put a lot of power behind all of their punches, and it maybe led to, at least in Kovalev's case, gassing earlier in fights and being vulnerable to body shots. But like this version of Kovalev, I think, looking at 175 right now, I think he's really hard to beat. I would, I'd really have to think to see who I would favor over Kovalev right now. There's a one or two, but just who are those one or two? Number one, obviously, is Dimitri Bivol, who I believe is the best at 175, but I don't want to really get into that. You said that you were surprised, or sorry, that you were not surprised. That's correct, right? Well, um, generally not surprised that it ended up being a boxing match. I mean, also just to speak to your point that you were saying it felt like he could get caught at any time. I more thought that if he was going to collapse, he would collapse early. So Mm. it seemed like once he had his feet under him, uh, I gave him a little more credit. Um, yeah, I, I, I generally speaking though, like I said, not surprised. Like I feel like Kovalev is a guy that at different times has been both way, way overrated and to some extent underrated. Uh, and you know, to some extent with good reason, right? Take. I mean, a, a lot of people thought that he might just collapse, you know, it's like, it was really hard to say what he would have left after this top rank definitely seemed to, you know, they signed Alvarez to a three fight deal and they wanted, or you know, multi-fight deal, I think it was three fights, but anyway, multi-fight deal, had him fight Kovalev. They definitely seemed to be promoting the card as if Alvarez was the guy to win and come out of this. You know, it was one of the rare times that top ranks matchmakers seemed to have gotten the situation uh, wrong. Um, but, you know, he was like, even after the Andre Ward loss, people were wondering what he had left. And it was kind of a question mark, you know, he's getting up there in age. But he never seemed to leave at least like, as you said, like the top two or three maybe top five at the worst at 175. Yeah, I I, I wasn't surprised. I, I, I was actually more disappointed in this fight because um, it played out really predictably, you know? It, was, it wasn't hard to see that uh, you have a fight where one guy knocks the other one out and then they rematch. And the guy who got the knockout spends 12 rounds chasing the other guy around trying to score that knockout again. And it just does not come. And they just get outboxed. That happens a lot in boxing. And and that's one of the differences between boxing and the UFC, where when we have rematches in boxing, the results usually flip. And the reason for that is because boxing promoters aren't stupid. The sport is so taxing. You're not going to go into a rematch if you're going to take the same beating. Usually when rematches happen, it's because the result was wrong. Not that, you know, you wanted to fight the guy again. In the UFC, almost always the rematches go the same way. And that's not the case in boxing. I mean, sure, there are there are instances. Don't get at me on Twitter and say, well, you know, what about this fight and this fight and this fight? I think more often than not in boxing, rematches tend to have different results. It, it Just in recent memory, you can look at um, James DeGale fighting Caleb Truax. Uh, so I think I was disappointed in the fight because it, it was predictable. It was, this is literally textbook rematch of a guy who got knocked out. Um, shockingly rematch of the, of the guy who got knocked out and was ahead on the cards. Like that played out exactly how it should have. And, and I was a little disappointed because, you know, Alvarez could have done a lot better, but he really fought like a guy that thought my only chance is to score a knockout when, it was just so dumb of him, especially once it became clear in the first few rounds, Kovalev was going to go with activity such. I mean, it was, it was just a dumb move on, um, Elliot or Alvarez's part. And Mark Ramsey was not able to motivate him the, uh, to 
turn it on late the way he did with Oscar Rivas and his fight with Bryant Jennings. So, like, now that Alvarez has lost his fight, I, I think it's really troubling for him because this was a super high-stakes fight for him in his career. Like, he's old. <laughs> like, Alvarez's first real fight, right, right. his re- first real challenge of his entire career was against a faded Sergey Kovalev. Alvarez was a 34-year-old quote-unquote prospect. And many, myself, had written him off already. Because time after time, he was flat. Fought to the level of his opposition. Never able to truly be dominant in a performance. I mean, I think he might have had one or two. But, like, those opponents were not good anyway. So, like, if you go back to 2013, when Aliader Alvarez started to emerge as, like, one of those guys to watch out for, that six years ago, which puts him at, like, 28-29, which is already old to be a prospect. Aliader Alvarez looked like he could become the next big thing at, at light heavyweight, perhaps somebody who could challenge Kovalev and Stevenson, who reigned over the division at the time. I didn't see it. But I thought, as an opponent, as somebody to be in that conversation, he was capable and, like, now he loses this fight to Kovalev, embarrassingly, chased him around for 12 rounds, didn't do much. I don't think there's time for him in his career to be one of these guys who can just float in the division. I think top rank is shrewd with their matchmaking. And they may build him up to, again, lose to, say, Vazdik. I mean, I shudder to say Ramirez, but maybe Ramirez? Just like we saw them do with Pedraza. <laughs> so, I mean, where do you think? What, what do you think? Uh, they, where do you think top rank goes with Alvarez? Yeah, I mean, I, mostly the same response uh, is what you said, but just, you know, calibrating a little bit. I'd say, one, for any time for him to lose, he's pretty well situated, right? I mean, he just signed that deal with top rank. I think it's extremely likely that he will be, as you said, uh, positioned as a B-side to the other top rank guys at 175. You know, Baturbiev, Vazdik, and Zerto, assuming he moves up. So, you know, it's not great that he lost, and he's probably going to lose a lot of money based on his contract, you know, being structured that way, that he's not going to have the same guaranteed based on having lost this fight versus having won but he's lined up and those fights aren't that bad you know at worst he's still somewhere in the top 10 so if he's got a string of fights coming up like top rank could do a lot worse than that i mean if you look at zerto's last few opponents previous um this is still probably an upgrade to that he's still you know buzzed Kovalev a couple times has that knockout over Kovalev prior to that he has those wins over you know washed Lucian Boutte you know ancient Boutte ancient Pascal um so yeah I don't I don't think he's that bad off I mean I, I my general opinion on Alvarez though is just he was never really that good you know we saw the best that he had to offer against some faded opponents, and even here he was not able to hold off a very faded Kovalev, and as you said, he's quite old himself, you know? Um, I mean, it's funny how things, the perception of him shifted. Like, I'm reminded in a a very specific uh, PBC card in uh, July 2016. He fought on the undercard of Adonis Stevenson versus Thomas Williams. Uh, Alvarez won a a very boring 10-round decision against Robert Barrage, who is just an absolute no one at 175, you know, and he went 10 rounds, took 10 rounds with him, couldn't get the knockout. 
Um, this is a guy who's been knocked out a bunch of other times in other fights. And, you know, at that time, like, boxing writers were groaning, oh, what, are we going to get uh, Stevenson against Alvarez? Who cares about Alvarez? Like, that's another joke fight for Stevenson. And then meanwhile, like, you know, with <laughs> no regard for consistency, two years later, the narrative becomes, oh, Stevenson has been avoiding the threat of Alvarez all along, you know, when he beat Kovalev. Oh, now we see why he's been avoiding him. And it, really, that fight, I mean, the reality is that fight didn't happen because it was never an appealing fight. And then, you know, there were always better fights for Stevenson to take. Uh, you know, fight never ended up happening. At the end, maybe it was avoided. Maybe Stevenson felt he could make more money fighting Badu Jack. But, you know, in terms of why it didn't happen for years, it was just because Alvarez was not an appealing opponent. That wasn't like a fight that Showtime wanted to buy. Um, so anyway, I, I think oh. for the level of talent he actually has, I think he's in pretty good shape. You know, this is coming at the end of his career. He just signed this multi-fight deal with Top Rank. At least he didn't lose before signing that. I mean, we've talked about, you know, other fighters who've ended up in that situation. Um, and, yeah, I think we're going to see him uh, in the mix for the next few years. I think it's not too bad, and Top Rank could do a lot worse than having him in those fights. I always thought that the reason why he didn't fight Adonis Stevenson was because of their promotional situation, where they are both promoted by the same guy. And Yvonne Michelle, for whatever reason, the dude is a... Like, like, I don't want to slander his character or anything, but he's odd. A lot of odd decisions from uh, Yvonne Michelle. I, I think he didn't want to put those two guys together because he was making good money with them separate. So why put them in the ring together? I think Archer Betterbeev understood some of that frustration by not fighting the other light heavyweights that were popular in Canada, as he has some sort of popularity there in Canada as well. Uh, that's probably why... Um, he left and, and tried so hard to get out of his contract with Yvonne Michel. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think Alvarez is, is set up okay to be an opponent, but like not to be the, uh, a like a player at 175. It's clear who the players are going to be when it when the dust settles. It's Vosdick and Bivol. Like, those guys will be left standing. I, I think uh, Kovalev loses to either of those guys. I mean, like, I mean, we could actually get into that because top rank has options. Sure, sure on Kovalev's future fights. So, like, what do you think is next? <laughs> well, uh, also, you I mean... you wrote this figure in, in the document, 5,642. What is that? Oh, sure. Well, that, so that relates to both fighters. That was the number that main events did for the first fight in Atlantic City, which at the time, they made a big deal on the HBO broadcast that boxing is back in Atlantic City. They did 5,500, you know, which is lower literally lower than any of the pbc barclay center cards lower than any of the pbc nasa coliseum like that's it, not it might be like 200 people more than lomachenko pajaza well yeah right i was gonna say which was in it's a like, theater right well and it's sold in fairness i mean sold out the theater right or right. i mean actually that's my point that one, that one well that was capacity at least i don't think that sold out every seat um rigandau did but yeah, so it did, you know, a theater size run and they made a big deal out of that number. And, um, you know, that's the high point of Alvarez's career as a draw. You know, that's like that is the state of Kovalev, um, you know, and he got knocked out in that fight. So at this point, if you're trying to like judge, I mean, this is just a broad point related to both of them and the top rank guys like fight fans like we can get excited about the 175 pound fights that they have lined up. But make no mistake, I mean, these guys are not going to draw money. I mean, Kovalev was never a big draw, even at his height. 
Um, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast. And the other guys at 175, it's not like Vosdick is going to you know, become a huge draw. I mean, he's already 31, not a fresh face. Uh, Bivol has a chance to, but I mean, he is going to be fighting on DAZN because his promoter basically sold him out to get a bunch of, bunch of shitty fight cards for his stable. So um, I, don't, I don't really think anyone is going to break through in that division. I mean, again, it's like the high watermark oh, for sure. is the theater at Madison Square Garden. So when you said like, you know, I, I just sort of uh, when you said who, the guy who's going to break through is going to be Vosdick. I mean, again, it's like these are no, fights. No, no, like, you're misinterpreting what I said. Don't I, I? I would not say that. Trust me, I would not say that. Vazic can't even speak English. I would not sure. say that. I what I, I meant is like, you, like yeah. the last, like if we had like a Royal Rumble, like Vazic would win it. But that doesn't sure. mean he's like main so event. The Becky Lynch of the one hundred and seventy-five pounds. No, edition. because she's a draw. But like, <laughs> touche. I, I mean, like, like this is the winner of the cruiserweight tournament. Like good, good, good yeah, job. She won, she won the women's Royal Rumble. I meant that in very specific. Uh, I'm not going there. Not when Kovalev is part of this conversation. Oh, I am Jesus not Christ. going there. Ugh. I will say Vosdick or Bivol possibly reach each other in the cruiserweight classic finals. But guess what? Who cares? You know, like that's oh. not a superstar in the sport. Unfortunately, yeah, I'm not going to shit on it though. Like we get, we get a lot of criticism on Twitter. I would say largely unfairly that uh, we're negative on Top Rank. Oh. These are good fights. If no, you're for listening sure. to those podcasts, tune in and enjoy those fights. We're just being objective and saying they're not going to be huge money. You know, not going to have a huge amount of relevance in the the broader sport. These are not mainstream events. And the final of the Cruiserweight Classic was probably like better than ninety five percent of the matches on the main roster i'm guessing so like this isn't to say that being like the the last one standing at 175 after all the fights just to be clear you're talking about a wwe event and not the world boxing super series cruiserweight tournament just for anyone who can keep up (laughs) yeah which is like you know a tournament where they brought in all these guys that don't even work for the company and they had this tournament It's, it's kind of weird when you have a tournament and like the the outcomes are predetermined but anyway um i i i can i can let that be um were you done uh answering this question about what you think is next for kovalev did you even answer it because you just kind of went off into this this uh sure well you asked what the number was so you asked the question oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And immediately derailed yourself so yeah so um that was good content man I, I enjoyed what you said sure so anyway um what's next for kovalev um i think you know, one, it, you Core. can't avoid the elephant in the room. He has some pretty serious legal issues he needs to deal with. I, you know, we talked a bit before we got on, and you said uh, he's facing a maximum sentence of four years. I'm surprised. I don't want to get too into the we- details of it, but he's facing some extremely serious allegations. So very likely he does jail time. And considering how old Kovalev is, I mean, you know, he's really like, okay, he, he out, got <laughs> fought lighter alvarez twice got knocked out once you know uh did not do you know won the second one it wasn't a huge like star making performance you know he's sort of this these are he's running on fumes at his career at this point if he goes to jail for one or two years like that's probably it you know there's not a whole lot left in terms of money making potential so you know if he can swerve this legal jeopardy to kind of get out from under that um i think you know, basically same answer I said for Alvarez. I think, um, you know, top rank has options on him and it's not the same thing as the Alvarez multi-fight deal, but I think he'll very likely be in the mix at 175, face those same guys. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously we have to think that first and foremost, his his legal thing, his legal situation needs to be settled. And then the other thing is like Kolov has like his next fights have like they're going to be top ranked because they took out options on Sergey Kovalev's future. And ESPN basically buried Kovalev the entire broadcast. Like I, I was astounded just how much they went in on him. Like, that was a hit job. And granted, he deserves it. He's done bad things. Um, but they made it obvious, like, hey, Sergey Kovalev likes to drink, possibly an alcoholic. He's facing prison time. He doesn't listen to anybody. Andre Ward stopped him. Andre Ward is here. We're going to put him on commentary <laughs> to give you the insight on how weak of a and a quitter he is. So... Interesting, right? Um, his future, should he, you know, avoid jail time, whatever, it's definitely not going to be Gilberto Ramirez. Ramirez has faced a lot of jabroni so far in his career, and I believe that streak will continue when he goes to 175. When Ramirez gets a fight against another world champion or someone of the level of a Sergey Kovlov, you best believe there is going to be a guarantee that he's going to win. So if Kovalev can get one more fight in, then I, I say they make the Vosdick fight. That's probably the biggest fight for him to make at 175 right now, given the circumstances of his promotional situation and his network situation. And then he can either retire or deal with whatever he's got to deal with in re- terms of, uh, you know, having this court case looming over him. Should we move on? Um, Yeah, I think so. Man, we talked enough about domestic violence. I mean, we're we're one flag protest conversation away from being uh, an NFL podcast. Uh, Oscar... I, I just have to say, like, this is when it's not fun. I mean, I like to talk about the fights. It's like we were talking about before about how do we cover this? How do we parse the distinction between Marcus Brown and you know, I just just to peek behind the curtain, like <laughs> Marcus Brown and Jermel Charlo and Koval, and it's just like, I, you know, I. Look, I am not claiming to be an intersectional feminist here. Like, I'm not going to claim, you know, I don't it's even like, know what that is. Uh, I, what is that? I'll, t- I'll talk to you after the podcast. The point is, like, I, I, I get why people could care about this and think it's the responsibility of boxing writers to go over this. Like, it's just I feel like I'm not qualified to talk about these issues. You know, these are legal issues. I, <laughs> I, I don't you know, know who's guilty of what in the specifics. You know, it's it's. It's it's really hard to get into it. I just it's a lot more fun when we just talk about boxing. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, first of all, nothing's been proven yet, so these are allegations. So you're basically in a his word versus hers um, situation, and either way, you can look really stupid whether you defend Kovalev or you don't defend Kovalev, and whatever happens happens. Somebody's going to be wrong. Um, so. You know, it's really tough. And you want to separate because we're talking about boxing here. This is a boxing podcast. And so there's definitely the distinction of like the the boxer and then the person. And I tried to make sure that my take on Kovalev, even though I worded it very poorly, I think, was that I was making an assessment of what I saw in the ring last night. And what I saw in the ring last night was very good. It it was a much improved Kovalev. He looked refreshed. He didn't look like himself, but he looked like this like like this next chapter of his career could be very good. Um, but let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Oscar Valdez, who has a pet alligator that we didn't get to see on TV. <laughs> I wonder what happened. 
Do you think I love those critters? Do, yeah. Do Do you think that he got too big and there and either he ate one of Valdez's family members or they had to <laughs> just get rid of him? I well, I hope he didn't have a problem feeding him while he was in the hospital with a broken jaw. I mean, I that's probably where he got his broken jaw. I'm reminded I'm tr- a few fights ago. I think this was Teofimo Lopez. The story they were saying on the broadcast was he was uh, eager to get a knockout because he was sad his dog had died. I think that was Teofimo Lopez like two or three fights ago. It might have been a different uh... fighter. So anyway, the point is, if his alligator had died, they would not have been afraid to talk about it. So okay. we can hope this little critter's okay. Hopefully. Um, you know, Manny Pacquiao has this story about, oh, God. I, basically, one of the reasons why he became a uh, a fighter is because his dad killed and ate his dog. I think that's like a legit story. I'm just going to search that real quick. Uh, to make sure I'm not making something up. <laughs> do you want me to talk about uh, Oscar Valdez while you're doing that? Yeah, do it. Sure. So I thought it's it's funny. Oscar Valdez, like I, I said coming in, like I wasn't trying to be too negative, but when you look at uh, Carmine Thomasone, Car- 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 uh, Carmine Thomasone, like he's a pretty bad guy. Like you go through his record again. I know I'm, I'm doing the, the box rec detective work that you sometimes get upset at, but you know, he was a bad guy. Like the bar here was not just for Valdez to he was come a bad back. Guy. Like distinguish that. Like you mean a bad fighter, not a bad guy. Like he punches <laughs> women, right? Yeah. No. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I, I really want to move on for, off from that, but uh, I know, yeah, that's why I keep bringing it just, up. It, a very poor fighter. You know, it was like Mark Kriegel's line. You know, always know it's a bad fight when he's pulling out lines like he looks more like he could be a race car driver, like trying to make it sound cool that he's from Italy. You know, you're um, a bad fighter when you when you as a professional boxer go to the Olympics and lose in the first fight. Um, Like Teofimo Lopez. No, like um, Carmine Tomasone. OK, but um, uh, yeah, so Valdez like. It's funny. Like I, I had to watch all of the fights this morning, and I, I got spoiled on them, which is fine. Sometimes, I, if it, if fights are important, I'll try to hold out. But I, I did know the outcomes beforehand, and the report on Valdez was like he dominated, he blew him out. Valdez is back, and it was funny watching it because I thought that was so off. Like he was loading up on his shots. I mean, it was clear that he knew he was in with you know an absolute joke of an opponent. Like he, he was fighting like. Um, Arturo Gotti versus Joey Gamash. You know, he was just swinging wide, wasn't afraid to miss. He was getting get hit flush by shots. His face was really marked up by the end. I mean, it was really like prior to the stoppage coming, I, I was a little bit just like, just, I mean, how it, it's like, it felt like just about the worst that someone could look given what the outcome ended up being. Um, you know, it's looking more and more like Oscar Valdez is going to be like I've talked about this before, like top rank. Their business model historically was like they develop A sides and then they develop much, much weaker, more vulnerable B sides to feed to those A sides. And, you know, it seemed like Valdez was supposed to be one of their A sides. He was supposed to be a real draw. Um, you know, he was the one fighting on ESPN last night. So we'll see what the ratings ended up being. His ratings uh, on TV have been really mixed. Um and he just, you know, he's looking more like the, the vulnerable guy who's being developed to eventually be fed to someone else. Um, I don't know if that was the plan intentionally, but he really, to me, just has not panned out as a pro. I mean, I don't know. How how, how did you see him last night? How do you see his trajectory going forward? All right, listen here, you clown. Don't you ever, <laughs> don't you ever talk about Oscar Valdez like that again. You're talking about one of the most naturally talented fighters in the entire sport 
I mean, is this a work? Yeah, I mean, I do like Oscar Valdez, but like, it's really funny because he looked close. Like he, his style was close to what we want to see out of Oscar Valdez. Like we don't want to see him in wars. We want to see him like measured. He got hit a lot. Yeah, I know. Let let me finish. <laughs> okay. Okay. <God> damn. <laughs> Christ, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see that clip of Corey Graves going mad or going getting mad at Renee Young because she was uh, she she kept interrupting him? It was, I, I'm pretty sure it was a work too, but it was funny. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, you'd think like I don't think they could get away with that as. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, Christ, Renee, like, let me finish. He would definitely be fired. Like you, you can't have the male announcer yelling at the female announcer on. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I'll, oh, why I'll not? Uh, I think that would not fly with woke WWE circa 2019. But um, anyway, oh. I'll, I'll I'll look up the oh. clip. Check check out Lacey Evans. Uh, so it's 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 funny to me because we started to see Valdez. Like, what have we been saying about Valdez for years? We need to see this guy box. We need to see this guy move. We need to see him stop getting into slugfest. We know the athleticism, the timing, the speed. It's all there. And given his extensive amateur background, a two-time Olympian, he should be able to you know box without getting punished every time he wants to exchange and so he switches trainers he gets his jaw broken switches trainers and you know he starts to develop the style that we want to see him fight but it didn't look right as you said he got hit his face was now he's fair-skinned I think he's always gonna have a marked up face after fights but he got hit pretty often and it was weird to watch him be in there, and he's not punishing his, his opponent. He's not, like, banging. He's trying to box, but it's not good. Like, obviously, we have to say that while he looked tentative, while he looked like he was in his head at times and he was thinking a lot, you have to say, okay, well, some of that may be rust. Some of that may be adjusting to this new style, which is radically different from what he's He's uh he's used to f- the style that he's used to fighting in. It's completely different. And we saw flashes of Valdez reverting, but it came at a time when it looked like he could afford to do that. But the reality is this Oscar Valdez a- as constituted I think is a work in progress right now. And I think it's unfair to to uh classify him, to judge him, etc because we'll see what he looks like. I mean, while Amir Khan hasn't been you know, the greatest fighter, I think his style has changed for the better under Virgil Hunter, and it didn't happen in one fight. I think I Abner can't Morris, believe what I'm hearing. I think Abner <laughs> Morris has adapted really well to what Robert Garcia's uh, implemented with him. So I think we got to give Oscar Valdez a little bit of time. Uh, one, there's, you know, tentativeness because of his chin and the fact that he got his jaw broken and broken, I guess, pretty severely based off of the story that he recounted before the fight about hearing it actually crack twice. Uh, there's that to consider. There's the considering his style, which is changing. And, you know, there's got to be some, some hes- hesitantness for, or hesit- is there some hesitation on his part implementing it. I mean, this is such a different way to fight. I, I, to me, it looked like um, Valdez is used to leading. And I think the reason why he's leading is because he's, not confident waiting for his opponent to do stuff. And that's how it looked like last night. Like he just wasn't confident sitting there waiting for uh, Carmine to do anything to him. 
So I, I think we need to see more from him. Uh, that that's that's what I think because he I, I'll agree with you. He didn't look good. It was good enough to win, but Valdez is good enough with this style, with Adrian Broner's style, with his own style, the old style. He's good enough to beat guys like Carmine Tomasoni, like definitely. But what happens when he moves up? Not in weight, but moves up his opposition. That's when things start to get very dangerous for him. Like how long do you think that he needs to, um, before getting in the ring with a Josh Warrington? Like I would say, Leo Santa Cruz or Gary Russell Jr., but we know that ain't happening. So Josh Warrington is the best fight available for Oscar Valdez that could easily be made. How long do you think he needs? I think that's a good question. I mean, I will cave a little bit on what I said. I mean, I, I had said last week coming in that, um, you know, just acknowledging like coming off a serious injury, coming off a new trainer, he needs time to develop. We should give him a little bit of a pass on this one. But I still was surprised at how much he got hit. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if people accuse me of being a hater. I mean, I know he did get a knockout victory, ultimately knocked his opponent down three times. But, I mean, just, God, looked bad. Um, I think it's an interesting question. Like, I've never rated Warrington that highly, and I think there were still some questions after the the um, Warrington-Frampton fight about how much it was a case of Frampton falling off versus Warrington coming on. Um, As of right now, I would pick Valdez to get stopped by Leo Santa Cruz if that happened. I think he would just get ground down. And same thing against Gary Russell Jr. I mean, I I just think those shots would be too sharp. But Warrington, I view as being a, a softer touch. And I think, again, question if it's a little bit of a mirage, his performance against Carl Frampton. I mean, you know, he also has the win against Lee Selby. But again, uh <laughs> I, big question marks about how much that win matters too so it does um yeah i mean i think um i think it's a good fight i mean i'm i am very much looking forward to all like similar to what i was saying before about the 175 i don't know how much business these fights do but warrington versus valdez i know shakur stevenson is calling out josh warrington says he wants that fight in the you know next year or so i mean to call out valdez this is an easier fight yeah, you know, to that point, like, I have been long skeptical of Stevenson, but after his last fight, I'm starting to wonder, I mean, the way he's developing, it looks like that might eventually be what happens, that, uh, you know, again, uh, <laughs> Valdez might end up looking like that top-ranked B-side who's just a stepping stone for a future star to break through. Oh, um, like Alberto Ramirez. <laughs> well, that was supposed to be the plan with David Benavidez, right? They're like, this guy's kind of uh, stagnated. Let's bring in Benavidez. He'll beat him. He'll be our new star, well, you know? Uskategi, um, that was, I think, yeah, that was again, it's like, with him. and now they're stuck just with a B side who's just a guy who's going to be a B side at 175. So, um, yeah, anyway, um, do you have any other thoughts on Valdez? I, I mean, I think if they want to make a fight with Warrington, the earliest it could happen, like the absolute earliest, is late 2019, so later this year. I, I think he needs at least two fights to get ready for Warrington, um, because right now. Um, I would pick Warrington to stop Valdez. Yeah, he really just looks so vulnerable, right? And I mean, that becomes a question. Like, we keep talking about Warrington because there's the deal with uh, Frank Warren to show the fights, but I don't I mean, know if they're going to want to sacrifice. If, if they think Valdez is going to lose, I don't think they're going to want to put him into that fight. You know, I think they might back off of that until they yeah. think he's a little more. Like, if they if Valdez continues to look as vulnerable as he had, I think they're going to more look for a top-ranked fighter to feed him to. Well, yeah, that'll you know? be Conlon or Stevenson that gets him rather than a Josh Warrington. But if it looks like Josh War- or Oscar Valdez can beat Warrington or at least have a 50-50 fight, then I think they go that route. But they have to wait because... Um, 
specifically with Warrington, he's a terrible, and, and Leo Santa Cruz, they're terrible matchups for Valdez because I think even though Valdez is trying to become a more defensively responsible fighter, these guys would absolutely drag him into the kind of fight that Valdez does not need to fight. And specifically, if there's any doubts about his jaw uh, in terms of whether it's healed or not, Warrington and, and Santa Cruz would definitely put that to the test by connecting over and over and over again with him. And that's not to say that they would school him. Uh, Valdez could win that fight, but there, there are a lot of factors that would make that very tough for him. So I think at a minimum, it's two fights, um, but maybe even more than that. I think if you can get away with three fights before you fight Warrington, do that. Because Valdez did not look like his old self last night. He looked uh, like a shell. Um, very young shell. Teofimo Lopez knocked out Diego Magdaleno in spectacular fashion. Mark Kriegel was very upset. I think a lot of people were very upset with Ishmael Salas and his management of Diego Magdaleno last night. Magdaleno got pulverized. Are you starting to become a believer in Teofimo Lopez, or are you going to sit here and continue to hate? <laughs> How did I know that question was coming? Because um, I wrote like, it down. Well, I just mean even from, like I said, I was spoiled on or the results, but then ultimately watched the fight. Before. Yeah, well, again, it, it, we've had this dynamic where every Teofimo Lopez has been very active. <laughs> so, you know, every time he fights, he fought four times last year. We keep having this back and forth about it, and I'm always cast in the role of the hater. I, I have simply said, you know, pump your brakes. Pump your brakes. Uh, you know, I he is looking like a very promising prospect. I was very impressed with his performance last night, not because of the knockout. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I mean... As you said, I mean, I thought very late stoppage. I thought yeah, the reason the knockout, the to get a you know, knockout. there's like an axiom boxing stop it, you know, one punch too soon, not one punch too late. And that was about 20 punches too late. Um, you know, like a couple just rounds for, too late. Like, I've like the very first thing I did related to boxing on the internet was like posting highlight clips. Like I posted a bunch of clips on YouTube like 10 years ago. And I remember even at that time when I was posting highlight clips, like the nastiest knockouts would always be when like a fighter was hurt, the fight wouldn't be stopped and they'd be out on their feet and then they'd get hit by a follow-up shot, which is also the same reason if you see knockouts from like, like Sugar Ray Robinson knockouts or Joe Lewis knockouts, the reason they're so vicious is not because they're supernatural punters. It's because those fights weren't stopped until someone was literally unconscious. So like, yeah, I, I don't really want to celebrate the like, you know, people saying, oh, knockout of the year. It's like, it's really more about a fight that should have been stopped going way too long. But I mean, also, again, regarding people praising the knockout of the year candidate, it's like, look up Diego Magdaleno's fight against uh, Terry, Terry Flanagan. Flanagan. Terry Flanagan, not known as a puncher, absolutely walked through him in two rounds. You know, it's like for everyone who's that wants to be super excited about Teofuma Lopez, just just look up that fight. Like Terry Flanagan did it much, much faster. And he is someone who at the world level is known for being an absolute pillow fisted puncher. So um, anyway, Teofimo Lopez is a very promising prospect. Uh, last night he beat, you know, a guy who is about 80 in the world, something like that. You know, a guy who has touched the world class level and has failed miserably. Um you know, if Top Rank wanted a former title challenger at that weight class, there were a few dozen people they could have found. They found one who had been, you know, soundly beaten previously because they wanted an impressive knockout on TV. That's what I said in the preview coming in. So, yeah, I'm just not going to give him that much credit. 
like again, when Terry Flanagan is doing a more impressive job, you start to say this performance and that knockout a little bit of a mirage. You know, it's it's like if you want to prove he's a tough puncher, put him in with someone who's been in with other top guys and hasn't been stopped. You know, put him in with a guy who's never been stopped before. Put him. You know, I, he's only twenty one, so again, he's still well ahead of pace, which is why I say he's a promising prospect. But people saying he's ready to take over the division. I, I'm a little bit more skeptical of that, but just just to pivot, uh, were well, you skeptical for, of Javante Davis? I was, <laughs> as I've said many age. times. I thought it was too much too soon going into the. So maybe I'm just wrong with all of these fights, but yeah, I thought too much too soon going into the the Pedraza fight. But anyway, your first thoughts before we get on to what's next for him. Well, I was really impressed with Teofimo Lopez's counter punching. Like he is a really twitchy kind of guy like his he's got super fast reflexes and that's going to make him dangerous against anyone specific like whether that be Vasily Lomachenko who I believe is the best at at that division now that Mikey Garcia is gone although Max Kellerman tried to paint it as Mikey as Mikey moved up to welterweight to avoid Lomachenko which is perhaps the third dumbest take that Max gave last night but I, I think Lopez is going to take over the division. Like, I, I'm a believer in Teofimo Lopez. I, I think the, the he, he has that intangible stuff. I'd like to see more body work from him. I think that is what needs to be developed inside of him. But I, I think uh, Lopez is really good. He's going to be good. Like, uh, I, I, I would rate him as top rank's best prospect right now. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not shocked that you're starting to come on board. Teofimo Lopez looked very good. And look, Diego Magdaleno, like, we are still multiple fights away from Lopez fighting for a world title. Like, that's the one thing I will say is that you could <clears throat> that you could scale back any expectation that the takeover is happening is imminent, okay? Only takeover that's imminent is Jay-Z, okay? Teofimo <laughs> Lopez is still multiple fights away. Diego Magdaleno was here to lose no doubt about that he wasn't even here to challenge Lopez as you said he was here to give him a knockout so that he could do his backflip after the ring his shooting star press and and do his his whatever Fortnite dance he wanted to do he didn't do a Fortnite dance this time he he did the you know I'm burying you whatever cool obviously yeah <laughs> they're trying to turn Teofimo <laughs> Lopez uh, heel I think you set him up as the bad guy for Lomachenko let that build and you have a pretty big fight on your hands in a couple of years, assuming that Lomachenko can hold up his end of the bargain, which is to be there when Lopez is ready. And Richard Comey on the undercard, he knocked out Isa Chaniev in the second round. I sound like a video game reading those names. Uh, <laughs> do you think that Richard Comey has a chance against Vasily Lomachenko? Like, I, I would say let's talk about that fight, but what is there to yeah, talk about? Yeah, let me about? talk about Lopez a little bit more. Oh, God. Uh, I don't so want to go too long. Some more hate here? Some more salt? Tom? No, I actually, I, I didn't really get to put him over as much as I wanted to. You know, you, you put him, put me on the defensive, so I didn't really get to come in with my positive stuff. I, I, I was impressed. You know, he, he came in, the game plan was to try to stop him early. Like they said many times, they're trying to knock him out in the second round. There's no mystery about why that was, because Terry Flanagan had done that also. So he was trying to equate himself to Terry Flanagan. Early knockout didn't come, which again, if your whole reputation is you're a power puncher, maybe you want to think about, you know, okay, he, he didn't 
<laughs> get the knockout Terry Flanagan did. Famously feather-fisted Terry Flanagan. But anyway, not, not to hate. But I thought after that, he did what I've looked to see from him. Because I thought in a lot of his fights early on, he just tried to steamroll guys with the steam, speed and power. And it's like, okay, he's a prospect. Um, for sure, he's got speed and power. But I was I was happy to see him settle in a bit and, and wait for the knockout to come. He picked his shots, as you said. Very good counter punches, very patient, extremely accurate with his power punches. Um, so I, I thought that was a very mature performance from round three on. So that that I would say was uh, a positive from him. But yeah, now now to pivot into um, Richard Comey again, it's like you make my point very well for me with Richard Comey. Like he started his uh, career, I think, with something like 19 and 0, 19 knockouts. So again, it's like people are going crazy. Like people who should know better are way too excited about Teofimo Lopez. Again, not saying he's a bad prospect. I just think he's people are starting to get crazy with how overrated they are how much they are overrating him given who he's actually fought you know again it's like richard comey last night fought a guy uh better than the guy valdez fought knocked him out in the second round walked through him. a few fights ago fought uh, alejandro luno which looked on paper like it might be a decent fight luno uh coming in was 22 and 0 walked through him in six rounds so like comey not bad you know so to get into just you're going straight to lomachenko is he going to trouble lomachenko i think lomachenko will win a decision i said that coming in last night he looked very sensational it didn't change that but again this is another fight like i'm not going to criticize lomachenko for being too good comey is a guy who's in the top five or the top 10 at 135 he's done everything he's supposed to do to get into this position it's a worthy title challenger they could do much worse i'm looking forward to him fighting lomachenko Man, of all the takes, Tom, you had to start off so poorly. You over here trying to say <laughs> Richard Comey makes the point that you were trying to make about Teofimo Lopez because he started out 17-0 and 0 with 17 knockouts or some nonsense like that. Come on, man. Teo, like Richard Comey fought almost all of his early fights in Ghana. In Ghana. Boxing hotbed. And when he started to, when he moved up, when Comey moved up, his first real challenge of an experienced fighter, he fights Gary freaking Buckland, and he couldn't knock him out. There's levels to this, and I don't think Richard Comey is cut out for that top level because when you can knock out a Gary Buckland who was who had lost two of his last three fights, if you've ever seen Gary Buckland, you know what the hell I'm talking about. This guy isn't good. How are you gonna lose to Gavin Reese? Gavin Reese, he lost. He got stopped by Steven Smith, but <laughs> but Richard Comey, this big puncher, couldn't knock him out. Seventeen and zero with with seventeen knockouts across Ghana and the UK against, and we've seen with Ted Cheeseman, the UK level guys. Come on now, you're getting there's, a little too in the weeds on uh, early Comey, I, I think. But there's there's like different levels to this, and, and I and I trust that. Teofimo Lopez has been developed at a much higher level than Richard Comey, and especially given his amateur experience, you you know, boxing fans love to bring that I'm up. Getting, so let's I'm bring losing that up. in the first round in the Olympics. Oh uh, well, you know, I'm, there's a lot of other great guys who <laughs> didn't even to, make to the Olympics, like the Terrence Honduras. Crawford. You know, oh well, Lopez didn't make the U.S. team. That's why he fought for Honduras because Carl Balderas won in his weight class. Yeah, well, that's also another good fighter. It's not like he lost lost out, and he was 18 years old. He's 18 Look, years old. Did, uh, sorry, did did Mikey Garcia represent the U.S. in in the Olympics? Because that's probably the best American fighter Jeff, right now. You're way off track. Let's let's. 
You, you'll be trying to, <laughs> Maybe try to bury Teofimo. I'm not going to stand for this because not, not with Richard Comey. Comey's not the guy to, to do it with. I mean, d- the question is, do you think he has a chance against Lomachenko? I answered the question. I think he will lose a decision, but I'm looking forward to the fight. Oh, I don't think he has any chance. Um, because I don't count having a chance as if you have to say, well, I think he could knock Lomachenko out if he catches him. That means you got no chance. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going with that one. You, you don't think so? Uh, well, it depends, you know, like obviously Richard Comey isn't going to outbox, like even if this is ridiculous, actually, I'm not going to go there, but I don't think he has a chance if he, he, we're going to rely on a knockout because Who's to say that Lomachenko can't take his power? If if he could take his power, Comey really doesn't have a chance. So I I think Comey, like Chaniev was so bad in that fight. Like I think we need to talk about that. Chaniev did not look good whatsoever. Like I I said to someone in the in the first round, this is gonna be an early stoppage because Chaniev could not avoid punches. Like he looked more he looked older in the ring than Sergey Kovalev did. Like, he just looked like he couldn't take punches well. Comey had no trouble finding it. By the way, Comey couldn't get out of the way of punches either. I was, I, I thought at least one of them was going to go down, and then it became very clear Comey was going to be the one who won that fight. But Comey, his defense was pretty poor in that fight. He got tagged a lot by Chaniev. Um, so I, I really don't see this translating at all to how he's going to do against Lomachenko. And then the other thing is... You know, we heard before the fight that he was going to, like, or the winner, both guys had already agreed to fight Lomachenko, but Comey, after the fight, says, I've injured my hand. There's They're taking him for x-rays to see if there's a break. It's possible that there's a break. Um, and if that's the case, then that really puts his fight with Lomachenko maybe September. It's going to be a while, which clears the path for, are you ready? Anthony Krola. Oh, brother. It's all breaking. Yeah, I'm wondering how they're going to work that out. I mean, I guess that's why they had had to do the unification, right? To prevent the Krola perspid. Um, I think so. I, I don't know because I don't follow that because I just know that whoever is in a perspid with Matchroom, they're going to they're gonna win. And I really don't <laughs> want to see Lomachenko versus Krola. Like, of all the fights that, like the sanctioning bodies are mandating. Like, we just don't need to see that one. Like, why? I, I would rather see a rematch with Linares coming off of a first-round stoppage than see Lomachenko fight Anthony Krola. It's just unnecessary. Um, I think we're done with this card. Should we talk about the Ted Cheeseman card? Um, let me just see very quickly. Let me just check if there was anything else left on this. Sorry, I wasn't expecting to move on. Uh, I, I did not watch a second of the Ted Cheeseman card, although I heard he lost. Is that correct? Yeah, you're better for it. It was a, a devastating blow to the UK domestic scene. It was a brutal fight. I mean, it, it was like, imagine somebody beat you to death with those pool, um, those pool noodles. <laughs> imagine just getting beat to death with those, like, like. Sergio Garcia had zero power, and Ted Cheeseman had zero defense. And so it was just like Ted Cheeseman was such a mess. And everyone will talk about the heart that Ted Cheeseman showed for, for fighting through that. It was brutal. Like, Ted Cheeseman was awful. Like, in the in the 11th and 12th round, he literally, literally kept his hands down. And to defend, he would tuck his chin in so that the fights, the, the punches would bounce off the top of his head. This is not even a joke. <laughs> 
That's not even a joke. That actually well, it's, happened. It's a type of joke. Yes. Um, well, ugh. that's the state of matchroom boxing. I, I don't know why British fans aren't more upset, by the way, if we could just veer off for a second. I don't know why British fans aren't more upset with the quality of fights that they're getting on Sky and how any meaningful fight that could possibly happen is on pay-per-view. And yet, and yet, they complain about the U.S. having too many pay-per-views. I don't get that. Anyway. I mean, it's just idiocy. Anthony Joshua, he looks like he will be facing Jarrell Miller in New York, although Dan Raphael was like, no, he's not. Uh, Mike Coppinger repeated or, or tweeted that out, and it's possible that New York could get within a couple of weeks Wilder Fury the rematch, and then Joshua Miller. That's got to make you happy. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, Do you think the British I, fans should be? Upset? I, I'll just say, like, oh. Matchroom has been known to throw out false information to boxing writers. Like, you know, we've we've had that happen a number of times where boxing writers have sort of indicated an announcement is incoming and then a different fight ends up happening. So um, I, I wouldn't put it past, uh, you know, Dan Dan might be right on this one. Who knows? But um, You're talking about the, the White-Ortiz fight, right? Yes, specifically. Yeah, um, yeah where there were separate announcements for, for different fights involving each fighter, and then it ended up being, uh, yeah. Anyway, so was there a question there? I, I am looking forward to it, or just initial thoughts yeah, on uh, Joshua. Yeah, thoughts. Uh, yeah, of it being in New York, and you get to yeah. see your beloved Jarrell Miller. <laughs> Look, I, I have I've been hot and cold on on Jarrell Miller. I actually don't know if you like him, so I just said it. Yeah, well, like when he was fighting on Showbox, it's it's one of the like again, the, they're just I, you can say that a fighter like oh he's at the Showbox level. I think he has talent. He could get to the world level. That's not the same thing as thinking that he would beat Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder. Um, I look. I can't wait for this fight. Ooh. I think Drell Miller is going to get pounded in his fat face until oh. a stoppage comes, <laughs> or until the twelve rounds, and I think it's going to be fantastic <laughs> entertainment. I still, my my wife still uh, brings up because she found this so funny after Drell Miller's last fight. Someone posted a gif on Reddit of Jarrell Miller trying to uh, evade punches coming from his opponent, and he just got tagged by every single one. And the top-voted comment on Reddit was Vasily Loma Cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> she will still just bring up how funny she thought that was anytime uh, Big Baby Miller comes up in our boxing conversation. Comment. So, um, yeah, look, uh, he's a punching... He's going to be a punching bag's punching bag against Deontay Wilder, but he weighs fucking 330 pounds. So it is going to be fantastic entertainment. I think it's a great fight for Joshua to break into the U.S. market. This fight probably should have happened a year ago. Um, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Joshua break into the scene. He's probably going to get a lot of mainstream coverage. Drell Miller is a great talker. Do you I think, think that he you know get think them- about very quick. Yeah, just what we saw with Pacquiao Broner, where you know that fight ended up being a much bigger success than a lot of people thought because Broner ended up being a much more successful B side. Again, Miller is nowhere near as popular as Broner. I'm not saying that, but he's going to play great role in the fight promotion um sorry go on i was just i was just gonna say if they do it within like two weeks or a week of wilder fury how much coverage do you think he's actually gonna get and let's not forget this will be on dazen you know it is it's a few few interesting questions there because you know it's like something people really take for granted is how much the pay-per-view business really helped promote fights i mean that's something we've talked about a lot of how much coverage how much marketing is built in like um Cable providers 
and uh, you know pay per view sellers. Yeah, I mean they exactly they they take a huge commission, but that gives them incentives to try to sell the fight, and they really do. And you know the first fight was a viral hit. I mean you you played great clips on the Patreon feed of of all the mainstream sports shows talking about you know how much they enjoyed the fight, whether or not they knew about it in advance, how much they enjoyed watching it, how much they enjoyed all the clips, how you know pleasantly surprised they were by Tyson Fury's personality to a lesser extent Wilder's personality, just just the spectacle of these giant guys slugging it out with each other. So you know I think it's interesting. There is a play here for Joshua. And um, Big Baby to play like kind of commentators on the Wilder fight. Like they could go on ESPN to talk about the Wilder fight. <laughs> I feel like Joshua's not going to want to do that. I don't think he's going to want to be like the you know second fiddle to that promotion. So I think it is going to be interesting to see how the timing works out, both in terms of the venues, because you would think right that venue would, uh, Vegas would make sense. I mean, either of these fights sure. are big enough. You would think, as much as we always hear about New York for big fights, rarely does New York get like actual big pay per views. Um, oh, come on, there's just so much more money in Vegas. So, what about we'll, Golovkin we'll Lemieux? Well, <laughs> yeah, again, pay per views that do over a hundred thousand buys. So, um, uh, setting a pretty low bar there. Yeah. So, uh, I, I will believe it when I see it. You know, I would love if if one of those fights came to New York. I'd love if both fights came to New York. But I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I'm going to take a, a different perspective in answering this. I think you covered everything that I would have said um, in, in terms of that. But I'm going to take the British fans' perspective because um, it's like, should British fans be upset by the announcement of this fight? And I think if you're a British fan and you are upset that Josh was going to go fight Jarrell Miller in New York, you have every right to be upset. I don't know if you know this, Tom, but last year there was this big deal about the fact that Anthony Joshua's next two fights were already scheduled in the books, happening for sure in the UK. It was like he's staying home. <laughs> yeah, there's been a huge deal made out of that. I mean, I still can't believe that might not happen after Hearn went so hard in on the two fights at Wembley thing. Yeah, and, and like we saw the first one. The first one was his fight, obviously, with Alexander Povetkin. And now his next fight is going to be in the U.S., um, there's the, still the April date, which is is looming at Wembley, but it's possible that I don't know that you can fight in April and fight again in June. You'd have to fight two absolute guys that have zero chance at taking you more than four rounds. It's possible that they go that route. I mean, I think it'd actually be smart. I mean, they're not doing that, right? I mean, sure. they completely said that it's one or the other. Yeah. I mean, we're we're in June. Or sorry, we're not in June. <laughs> we're in. February already and announcing a fight for April is that that's a really short amount of time. I can't think of any fighter who would want to take on a fight with Anthony Joshua with like eight weeks notice. So the other thing is that like if Joshua was going to fight a guy who was just zero challenge, like, and and that's what I believe Jarrell Miller is. I don't think Miller is going to really challenge Joshua. Like why not just do it in the UK? See, Miller's not the kind of draw that's actually going to make a fight in the U.S. make sense from a monetary perspective. I think fighting Wilder, of course, in the U.S. makes sense because the money that they would get from that fight would dwarf anything he could do in the U.K. Uh, bar fighting Mo Salah. I, that's the only soccer player I know. Um, so Miller offers up absolutely nothing in terms of a fight. So the only thing I think to take solace in is that Joshua 
fighting Miller in the U.S., so this is British fans and U.S. fans, American fans, um, you can take solace in the fact that if Joshua's fighting Jarrell Miller in the U.S., I think that means they are serious about making the Wilder fight soon. Now, not next. I didn't say that, but soon. And right now, there's zero incentive whatsoever to fight um, in the U.S. unless you're going to build the Wilder fight. Like, why? He's He's got a good thing going in the U.K., and they don't even care about the level of his opponents over there. So... Fighting in the U.S., it means that Wilder fight is going to happen. They just need Wilder to hold up his end of the bargain and beat Tyson Fury. Otherwise, um, we're in trouble. So, but if you're upset, you know, I, I totally, totally get this. Do you, do you think that this is the best possible matchup for Anthony Joshua bar the two guys that are already going to fight each other? Um, I think it at least makes the most sense. I mean, you know, there are arguments that you might want to see Luis Ortiz or Dillian White rematch, but I think this is just fine. He's undefeated. He's huge. He's a spectacle. He's going to be a good talker on the promotion. I mean, do you think there's anyone else you'd rather see him in with outside of Fury and Wilder who, you know, assuming the rematch gets signed, are, are clearly occupied with each other? Um, Yeah. So I think this is the best possible matchup. I, I just racked my brain a little bit right now, but I think this is the best possible matchup. Now, not like 1,000%, I'm sure, but like probably, you know? Of all the heavyweights who are going to give him a challenge, like Joshua's already established that he's on another tier. And while I would like to see Luis Ortiz, Luis Ortiz has a fight already lined up. So of the available guys, I think Miller is the guy that is the highest of his tier, which is the tier below where Joshua sits. And the question is, can Miller rise to that level of getting into that next tier? I really doubt it. So... This is a, a decent matchup. It, it should have an entertaining build. I think Miller uh, can talk and he can run his mouth and that's good. And Joshua can play the quiet, humble guy and continue to be uh, fake in front of cameras, which people <laughs> eat up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to see Joshua just let someone have it one of these days. I, You know, quick t on that topic, I mean... Joshua was so bad, right? I mean, he did a lot of U.S. press, or not a lot, but he did some U.S. press around the time of Wilder Fury, and, like, just really bad. Like, I mean, he was, like, addressing, like, U.K. fanboy arguments, like, like Wait, he was are you talking responding about to questions when... that hadn't been asked. You're talking about when he, like, went on first take and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay. So, yeah, I agree. I think it will be interesting, very interesting to see how that can play out because I'm sure Eddie Hearn is going to say like, oh, you know, try to get him and or Jarrell Miller on Joe Rogan. Like, you know, you, you can already see how, how Eddie Hearn will try to promote the fight and it will actually be kind of interesting to see how it plays out because, I mean, I think it's it's always funny when you see like, you know, Canelo try to do like non-Mexican like U.S. press like. You know, he's so beloved in Mexico, but kind of his, like, shtick and persona doesn't really work. You know, he's kind of an edgelord, like, outside of his, like, adoring Mexican fans. Like, it, it kind of falls flat. And, you know, like... You actually jo call Canelo an edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, I, I do not take it back. You know, Joshua is beloved in England. He was a gold medalist in the London Olympics. Kind of questionable whether he deserved that, that gold medal win. But, you know, he came out of that fight just he just inherited that stardom and you know when people talk oh he's dynamic he's such a great personality in interviews it's like 
okay, he's a big jack guy who won gold in his home country. Like, you know, how compelling of a personality actually is he? Like, it will be interesting to see how much, you know, I think that's part of the reason why he was hesitant to come over here. You know, it's like he was very well built for the UK market, wasn't necessarily well built to be a US star. Yeah. Um, and so far, he really hasn't gained much traction here. You know, his DAZN numbers have not been good. His, you know, his TV numbers prior to that were not good outside of the Klitschko fight. Lesser. And I will. It will be very, very interesting to see. But if he wants, yeah, right, uh, exactly, very, very bad in a lot of instances, you know. But if he does want to try to take off in the U.S. market, I think Miller is the right guy to do that. Um, yeah, I think that that's the best chance, and it's just a good fight, you know. Assuming he does end up fighting Wilder in the U.S., it's like this is a great warm up. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good perspective that you brought. Um, I think. It's easy for us and for for people listening to this podcast to fall into the trap of thinking that in our like our view inside of the bubble called being a boxing fan and being a pretty hardcore one at that if you're listening to a boxing podcast you if you get inside of your bubble or this bubble it's easy to see like oh Joshua's such a star but like he's only a star to us how does he come off to the casual fan and you bringing up how people perceive Canelo is it's interesting and I think it's accurate I think some people may feel that way. And I, and I wonder how Joshua comes off, you know, he's not like Wilder or Fury who are very charismatic and they're, they're great when they put their cameras put inside of, in front of their face, you get, you get the feeling like when Wilder or Fury are talking to people, they're really just saying what comes to mind and it's genuine what they're saying. But Joshua comes off like he's been given a script, you know, he comes off as a little fake. And while I like Joshua, um, I can very easily see and I can understand if somebody doesn't feel the same way that I do about Joshua because, you know, I've followed him his whole career and most people haven't. So anyway, um, let's move on. We have a ton of stuff to talk about. Abner Mares, he had to pull out of his, re- of his I, I wrote rematch. I don't know why, uh, when did they had their first match. Um, well, it's a to, typo. Uh, <laughs> it's he, not the end of the world. He had to pull out of his fight with Gervonta Davis. And Hugo Ruiz, um, the murderous uh, Hugo Ruiz, will be stepping in. Gervonta Davis, uh, he has taken his comments back. He was very critical of Abner Mars and, frankly, kind of mean. And then he, when he's found out the truth, Abner Mars, or sorry, not, Gervonta uh, Davis has been much kinder to, to Abner Mars now that he knows the extent of the injury. If you don't know what happened... Um, Abdul Mara suffered a, d- a detached retina. He had to go into surgery to fix it. He's got like this, uh, it looks like a, like a flies like thing over his eye to cover it. And he's got to look down basically like until it heals. So he, it looks like he's very, very sad, but he actually is just supposed to look down. But anyway, uh, one of the things Javante Davis said, who's probably one of the best people to follow on Twitter, cause you get comments like this is he's like, now that, Abner Mars is pulled out or something along the lines. He says it's actually better because Hugo Ruiz is better than him. And his uh, one of his justifications was that Hugo Ruiz has a higher knockout percentage. Um, do you agree with him? Do you think Hugo Ruiz is actually a better opponent? No, and, you know, look, he's in a thankless position. Just another note on Mares. I mean, it's a very serious situation for him. He had his eye injury was, you know, this pre-existing. This is second one, by the way. Right. Yeah, they they long delayed the Jesus Cuellar fight, and there was a lot of rumbling at that time about whether Mars have to might have to retire. You know, prior to that, which is one of the reasons, like you said before, like Cuellar was like viewed as being the favorite coming in because a lot of people thought it was kind of like a cash out at the end of Mars's career because of his eye problem. So, 
Um, you know, I hopefully we can get it back in the ring. I, I really was looking forward to the Mara's uh, Davis fight like a lot. Uh, still hoping that could happen eventually, but I'd say that's a major question mark now with his eye. No, it's not a better fight. I mean, and Davis doesn't think that either. I mean, that was kind of Davis being kind of (laughs) young and bad at self-promoting his fight. I mean, who knows, maybe one of the PR people or or someone uh, at Mayweather Promotions told him to say that line, but, you know, about the knockout percentage, etc. But, you know, they're just trying to salvage the event. And, you know, as we've said before, it's like you're not going to bring in the, you know, if the number two guy gets injured, you're not going to bring in the number three guy. You know, you drop it a few levels below that. You don't want to end up someone coming in at the last minute and making you look bad. You know, it's it's not that someone else would be a threat necessarily to beat him, but you, you don't want to bring someone in who's going to, again, like stink out the place. Or I think uh, Ruiz is fresh in people's minds. He just had a win on the, the, the Pacquiao Broner pay-per-view. Um, yeah. <laughs> definitely a question mark if he should back, be back in the ring so quickly but he has a win you know it sucks that he's coming up from 126 i mean so is mares but he had a lot of time to prepare to put on weight to come up um so yeah i not loving it i mean that's the thing also ruiz for those of you who aren't aware has fought most of his career at lower weights had had only fought that was his first fight at 126 prior to that he's a 122 prior to that 118 115 so most most of his career is at bantamweight so um he's not that much different in terms of uh move a guy who's moved up in weight from lighter weight classes than abner mares now granted mares well, had a lot a, more yeah time again mares but... won championships at multiple weight classes yeah again over a very long period of time mares naturally grew into the weight class i mean um two fights ago again he was a 100 you know as a 30 year old man he was fighting at 122 you know as a fully mature fighter he was fighting at 122 just moved up to 126 again got a win but that's as much as you can say for him yeah i i think uh i see where davis is coming from um i don't agree with him i think uh ultimately though does this change what we thought was going to happen I think it's basically the same fight in that we're pretty sure Davis would have stopped Mares and pretty brutally if it if it um got on went on to be a long fight. And I think he's gonna do the same thing to Hugo Ruiz. I, I think the the most interesting thing is that he's going from fighting a guy like Mares, who's a little smaller than him, to fighting Ruiz, who's one of the biggest guys, I think, at one thirty. So that should be interesting to see how Javante Davis will break him down. Similar he's even bigger than Jose Pedraza. So that, well, in terms of his frame, but yeah, he's just not in terms of his bulk. He's well, again, no, he's he's, he's certainly not fighting right? Anthony Joshua. But I believe Davis would have the balls to take that fight. <laughs> this dude told told uh, Terence Crawford and the Charlos off. Like Javante Davis clearly has zero fear. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, of course it matters. Like you know how to trigger me. There's nothing I hate more than that. It doesn't matter because the same thing. You know, it's of course it always matters. Uh, Abner Mara's multi-division, you know, future, likely future Hall of Famer. Dude, Arturo um, Gotti's in the Hall of Fame. Abner Mara's will be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it really sucks. And Hugo Ruiz really is sort of a last-minute salvage-the-event type of opponent. I'm really not going to pretend he's anything more than that. You know, Hugo Ruiz, you, you mentioned a little bit about how like, he just fought like three weeks ago. Yeah, but he that was a sparring session. Um, right. I mean, because he was, for those who don't remember, he was supposed to be the B side to Jack Tapora. Tapora couldn't make weight. They should, A, they should have had Davis fight Tapora. I'm a genius. Why didn't they do that fight? Can't make 126. Because Tapora likely was walking around 145. If he was off weight by multiple <laughs> pounds, the dude is probably walking around at 150 or something. 
Right. Yeah, he came in above one thirty. <laughs> yeah, that is that was one of the craziest. Several yeah, so pounds above, if, like dude. Right. Even yeah, yeah. He came Davis in. I think at one thirty one and a half. I believe. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Uh, anyway, I don't know if we really have more time to spend on this. No. I, I'm still looking forward to seeing Davis back in action. Um, Erickson Lubin, Ishe Smith, uh, I believe they're streaming for free. Oddly, it's not on the main broadcast, but I'm definitely looking forward to that one. I mean, that's a very good crossroads fight. It's going fight. to be a Ishe. boring fight. I'm looking forward to it. I want to see what Lubin can do. Lubin has been really itching to get back uh, at the top level since losing the Charlo fight. Uh, I still think he has a lot of talent and potential. The Charlo fight was way okay, too soon okay. for him. The, the preview you know. time is later. Okay. We're gonna, we're gonna, we have a specific section where we talk about sure, which sure. fights to watch. Sorry for getting off script. Anyway. But if, uh, if you really want to see uh, Erickson Lubin get back to the top, he should fight Ted Cheeseman. Anyway, Gennady Golovkin has multiple offers on the table, and it looks like Dazen is the leader in the house. A $40 million offer, maybe a little bit more than that, um, which includes a rematch with Canelo. That is the offer for Dazen. So it'll be one tune-up fight followed by a fight with Canelo. And then PBC's offer um, promises eight figures per fight, which is still pretty solid money, I, I would say. Um, not to you, but to me. And it will include a pay-per-view fight with Jamal Charlo. Also, ESPN, who we've believed to be out of the running, also met with Golovkin. Um, nobody knows the detail of what a potential offer from them looks like, but they are the worldwide leader in sports and known for not paying a lot of money for boxing. So we'll take that with what... what Take that with a grain of salt. So anyway, what do you think Gennady Golovkin should do? I mean, just to say first, I'm astounded at the magnitude of these offers. I mean, the math kind of adds up, you know, kind of. Like if they were going to do Canelo, Triple G on pay-per-view, it makes sense he would get paid roughly that magnitude of money. But you would have to think Golovkin versus like relative nobody wouldn't be seen as that big of a deal, you know? Um yeah, amazed at the amount of money. I mean, I just remember last year when he fought Venice Martirosian in front of you know a less than sellout crowd at the StubHub that he got paid a million dollars for on HBO. Just thinking like, you know, he better take that Canelo fight or else he's going to have no other options. And then here we are. I mean, I mean, so many things are interesting about this. It's interesting. DAZN really is to, willing to shell out that amount of money. I mean, early on it was interesting that DAZN seemed to be wanting to build like a, a lot of depth in a U.S. stable with Matchroom USA. That seems to have largely gone out the window. The Matchroom USA cards have been pure garbage, and they're throwing all their money at the very highest level of fights, which either means they got the return they wanted in terms of subscribers from the Canelo fight, or it means they're just throwing all their money at a last-ditch effort to try to move the needle somehow because that fight did not do well enough, and they need real pay-per-view opponents for Canelo. Um, it's fascinating. I mean, this is unbelievable. He stands to make this amount of money. Um, what should he do? Um, I, I would take the most money. I mean, I, I could see him, you know, he's, there's this whole narrative of him not wanting to fight Canelo. I don't really believe that. I feel that's, that's a work. That's just him trying to keep, you know, uh, interest in the fight in the air that there's this bad blood. Same time, the, tr like if P Dizone is really willing to pay verbal tactician, tactician well, <laughs> look, look at how much money he got for the Canelo fight. I mean, he, they his side, whether it was him or Loeffler, I mean that was like the negotiation of the year that they were willing to get that amount of money out it of certainly the, wasn't his the managers who he's suing. 
Well, <laughs> that's another question. Uh, stealing money is separate from negotiating a deal. You it's know, not it's hard stealing to say. if he doesn't know about it. They they just were not disclosing what money Golovkin should have been well, getting. You I'll know? leave it up to you to play devil's advocate on that one. I'm not going to. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> but, actually playing defense lawyer. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Who should he take? I mean, look, either of these offers is huge. I mean, if DAZN is willing to pay $40 million, I'm astounded that PBC would match that. I mean, this goes hand in hand. I mean, I, I talked about this before the Danny. I know I'm ran, er, rambling a little bit, but just to, to sort of wrap this up, uh, the Danny Jacobs offer that uh, he's getting $15 million from DAZN to fight Canelo um, that again is astounding to me because that means he must have had, in order to leverage that amount of money, he must have had a lot of money on the table from the PBC. And when we talked about the PBC fight possibly happening, that was for, you know, Golovkin to fight a mix of Jamal Charlo and Jacobs, you know, because either of those fights you could put on some level of pay-per-view right away. A lot of the steam is taken out with Jacobs leaving. So now you just have Jamal Charlo. As much as I like Jamal Charlo, you know, it's like, that's probably not i mean a high number you'd think would be three hundred thousand. so you're not getting up into like the 45 million dollar range for just you know it, it the math doesn't really seem to add up on the pvc side so i'm a little confused with all of the reporting because it you know on the DAZN side you say okay that makes sense but only in the context of trying to like pay him what he would have made fighting canelo on pay-per-view but besides that i mean that's still just a huge amount of money DAZN is just burning hoping people subscribe to their service and on the pbc side you would think the, the math wouldn't add up at all to try to match that offer so unless he really unless D- pbc is willing to burn a lot of money similar to the way DAZN is you know, and or he really does have this blood feud with Canelo where he doesn't want to take a few fight, a third fight because of his ego. Um, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> that was a long answer. But whose ever offer is actually real? Take that money, because that is a huge fucking amount of money for this stage of his career. Anyway, your thoughts? I mean, it depends on what's what he sees is important to him. Like if it's money, obviously. Go with whoever's got the biggest offer, which is Dazen at the moment. And, you know, then there's also his own pride. And if his pride is to say, I want my win, I believe I beat Canelo twice, and to right that wrong, then, of course, you go with Dazen and take the fight with Canelo. I mean, I would say you you can leverage that a bunch of different ways because it sounds like with the money that they're offering at 40-something million, they need this fight with Golovkin. You don't yeah, pay it, this amount of money right. for a, a, a nice to have fight. They need this. That's a lot of money. Well, it could it could be good if they need it because you know they're confident they can convert that into subscriptions, or they need it because this is do or die for how their service is going. Well, they're on the a US timeline state. that is already ex- like ex- coming up soon. Right, right. Everyone said eighteen months, and and DAZN employees have said that as well. Like you know, they've they've made public statements and done done interviews and stuff. You know, uh, reaffirming that they have a deadline within the larger organization to prove their subscription numbers and viability in the U.S. Yeah, because the next step is like you know we're talking about this in the context of boxing, but boxing is a small player. We're talking about forty five million. You know, ESPN's paying billions for one game a week, sixteen games only, plus I think one playoff game. So they're trying to get into the NFL game. They're trying to get into the NBA game. We're talking billions of dollars per year on these sports. That's their end game. So while we talk about boxing and days in in terms of like their future and, you know, the gambling and blah, 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 like this is the checkers. 
they're trying to position themselves so that they can play chess with with the major sports. And then that's when things start to get real for Dazen. So it, it's really interesting. Like for, for Golovkin, it just depends on what he wants. Like if it, you said that you think it's a work, what he said about Canelo, but I, I tend to believe it. I think that there's a real good possibility that he just does not want to fight Canelo. And he does just wants to be done with getting robbed uh, for what he feels is twice. And I'm not saying that that's what happened, although there are many of you out there that may feel that way, including Golovkin himself, that he won both fights and didn't get the, the, the decisions and he should be an undefeated fighter, etc., etc. You know, PBC presents an interesting challenge uh, in terms of a new fighter for him to face in Jamal Charlo. I think with Fox, you could sell that, especially if they plan to do that during the NFL season. Think of all the publicity that they're going to get from that. Um, that's a that's there's potential for that as well. Um, obviously, Jamal Charlo is not Canelo. That's not it's not even close. And there's also the future of after after you know what if Golovkin wants to go to 168? If we're looking at who's got the 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 biggest fight for him at 168, it might be a fight with David Benavides, who is going to come back this year, and he could conceivably become the biggest name at 168 given he's Mexican. So, well, or Caleb Plant or whoever stacks out there. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of ways that could st- you know end up in Golovkin's favor. Caleb Plant versus Gennady Golovkin is... Who could have seen that coming? It's just like, my my brain is like stopping. Like, I just can't even think about that. And anyway, um, I'm not sure what, even, what ESPN could offer. You know, one of the things, this is totally like just a separate tangent... But I think Golovkin's stock has dropped a bit recently, and not because he's lost fought a fight or whatever, but I really think his personality, what what actually made fans a fan of him, apart from knockouts, has been like just kind of suppressed. We haven't seen the, like the clever sayings. We haven't seen him being charming in front of cameras. We haven't seen that. And I think if we're looking at who's going to give him the best platform to expose him and he's naturally just a likable guy who can do that that's espn that's pbc i think those guys would put him in position to get people to care about him and golovkin i think can definitely do that but like this is like a real small potatoes thing um it it, it, in the end it just comes down to what does he want you know does he want the canelo rematch or not if he doesn't want the canelo rematch i don't think he takes days in offer because they certainly wouldn't offer 40 something million for him to not fight canelo and just so, just I, I mentioned this earlier, but just to put it on your radar, Golovkin is suing his managers who were um, hiding money from him. So they, t- basically, it's $3.5 million that he's suing for, that they were hiding um, profits from his events and then not, do, not actually doing their job in terms of managing him. So that's really interesting. And someone had to have smartened him up to the money that he wasn't being paid. And I wonder... Who might have put that in his ear? <laughs> right. Who's the most powerful manager in the world who he's currently negotiating a deal with? Um, that's something I, I really was very curious to me as well. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, I was. Wasn't Tom Luffler? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he ain't in on this. Yeah, two two other very quick pivots before before we move on, because there is some other stuff we need to get to and we're going along. Um Quick thing, you had a point about Golovkin, and you've said before, which is a reason he might not want to fight Canelo and why it might not be a work. You pointed out correctly, you know, he's definitely getting up there in age. I thought he won both fights, but I thought the second fight was no, more in... Not. 
Canelo did better in the second fight. Most people agree that the trajectory is favoring Canelo. Golovkin's just going to be older if they fight again. If he really feels, as far as his legacy is concerned, that he was robbed the first two times, I don't think he's going to want to take a third fight and then lose it soundly because of age. You know, that would really be the final humiliation if he lost clearly yeah. in everyone's eyes yeah. or even worse got stopped yeah. you know which again he's so he's getting up there he's a guy who's never been a defensive wizard it could look pretty bad for him and you know with canelo yeah that would certainly add insult to injury in a way that uh jermal charlo wouldn't uh potentially so separate thing with jermal charlo and you raised a good point another good sign you know we're talking about what this could mean for his own good or bad i mean either they are eager to get those subscribers they need it or it's do or die time so it's a last it's a hail mary Conversely, on the PBC side, you know, PB, uh, the uh, Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury pay per view did quite well. Pacquiao Broner pay per view did quite well. The PBC on Fox ratings have been doing great since they've been doing all that that heavy promotion mid game. The numbers for Errol Spence versus Mikey Garcia could be trending well for all we know. It's entirely possible that you know on their side, similar type of thing. They feel like these numbers have been trending. Uh, in a good direction, maybe it's worth, you know, that makes it worth buying in. You know, we believe this, you know, to the point you were saying about uh, doing it during football seasons, they could promote the fight. I mean, that is very interesting as well. The reason why I give that more credence than the DAZN time, DAZN side is that the numbers we've gotten from DAZN, which are all unofficial. No numbers. The number, no numbers, oh, but well, the, well, I know what you're, I know what you're some getting numbers, at. But. but the indications that we've gotten have been not great, albeit unofficial. So I don't want to give, you know, too much credibility to them but the unofficial indicators we've gotten have been not good so far as far as their subscription numbers whereas on the pbc side we have official numbers at least in terms of ratings and the unofficial pay-per-view numbers we've gotten that seem to be you know have multiple sources have been very good also so that's why i'm a little bit more you know give a little bit more credit to the pbc side anyway i am ready to move on also i just want to say no num no news is bad news in this game okay no news is bad news what do i mean by that well, last week, I believe, or maybe the week before, I don't know, was the first ESPN Plus UFC card, and we were bombarded with numbers about how well it did. Now, it's relative to nothing, okay? It's relative to nothing, but they told <laughs> us the numbers were good. Dazen isn't doing that. Last night, Top Rank didn't release the attendance, and this is standard practice. When you go to right. an event, they send like these this, these figures to the press. Nothing was sent out about the attendance last night for the Kovalev Alvarez fight. We had a, we had an anecdotal tweet from Keith Idek who said basically the crowd is what you would expect when a Colombian is fighting a Rus- a Russian in Texas with no connection to the state or city. Yeah, I get it, but I, I just think no news is bad news um, in terms of these things, figures and stuff counting. Anyway. Two things before we move on to our previews. One, I searched Manny Pacquiao's story about his dad eating his dog. It is correct. If you search Manny Pacquiao, dad, eat, dog, um, a Washington Post article will pop up from 2015. Um, So that is uh, a fact. And um, I forgot my other thing, so we'll just move on. Uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Rob Brent will fight Friday night against Kassan Beysangarov. Um. If you good, have good job on the pronunciation. If you have ever seen Basangarov fight, I need to know who you are. Your um, name is Gleb or you are lying. Yeah. What does a win for Rob Brandt mean? 
You're what Mr. Is a Rob Brent right here, so why don't yeah. you take this? Because okay. you're the ones that are like, so oh, Rob Brent, one of the best middleweights in the world. Uh, they're scared of fighting him. Rio de Murata, turns out you were okay. right. I, I have, I have a few right. thoughts on this. Let me uh, be as concise as possible. I just want to avoid giving a really long answer. Rob Brandt in the top 10 at 160, outside of when you talk about Canelo, Golovkin, Jacobs, top three. At the, I mean, heavily, you know, Canelo, clear number one in terms of popularity. Golovkin, clear number two in terms of popularity. Jacobs, probably number three in terms of popularity. Jamal Charlo, probably you number seen four. seen those HBO numbers, bro? <laughs> well, very good point. Uh, but that uh, those M's he's getting for the Canelo fight would seem to indicate that uh, DeZone at least thinks he's pretty popular. Anyway, um, Brandt, you know, he's has another belt, albeit the WBA regular belt, but he's part of the next wave below that. You know, the other guys who sort of have a claim to get into the next level, you have uh, Brandt, you have Selecki, who's fighting uh, Gabe Rosado. Uh, you have Dimitris Andrade, and you have uh, Jack Colquet versus uh, Sergey Derevchenko, the winner of that fight. Ooh. So, um, pretty pretty good mix of guys. I mean, Rob Brandt, he's with Top Rank, collecting a check for having a title fight on one of their cards. You know, that's it. That's something we've talked about. This phenomenon that both the Zone and Top Rank, if they can put forth a, t- a guy with a title. In a headline slot, they'll get money from the network. That's all this fight is. This, you know, he's fighting an extremely unknown guy from Russia who fights, you know, Russia, Russian slash Ukrainian guy. Um, not great, <laughs> you know, no knockout power. Uh, this should be a fight which will be good enough to keep uh, Rob Brandt with the title. I, it doesn't move his career forward a lot. Top rank doesn't seem to be putting a lot of weight behind it. It's just their way of collecting a paycheck. What, what are you chuckling at there? Uh, Bay Sangarov fights for Boombox Promotions. <laughs> oh boy, that, I'm reminded. Like, okay, uh, I'm just talk like, about. The I'm getting knocked out. In the '90s, I remember I used to go to the electronics chain. Nobody beats the Wiz, and they had a gigantic Boombox section, which was you know like all of these giant stereos with like. 20 different speakers and i guess that was the height of being cool at that time was having a, a gigantic boombox with a million different tiny speakers so I, I i don't know what era that it's like with lomachenko calling out like the matrix thinking it's he's you know it was the coolest movie of like 1999 that he's really cool with that like matrix gear on like he's kind of, kind of missed you know something's lost in translation there yeah <laughs> Boombox promotions. Okay. I mean, nowadays kids know a boombox as a item, an item in Fortnite. Okay. But well, anyway, thanks, thanks for bringing the kids back into the discussion because oh, I was man. losing them fast. Yeah, for 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 you, you know, pre-adolescent listeners out there, we, we think about you guys, and you know, we want to deliver a product that you guys like to listen to. Um, and Tom apologizes oh God, for the cuss words earlier. Promotions off it, website is off the chain. Like their yeah. their website is unbelievable. What is it? Is it boomboxpromotions.com? We're just gonna do a lo- little yeah. live reaction here. Boom, boom, boomboxpromotions.com. Dot com. Let's see what we got here. Oh, oh wow. So we I got mean, a, it says Happy Maybe New I'm Year 2019 with like snowflakes in the background and a. Uh, changing background images. Their featured fighters is um, uh, yeah, good luck with those names. Yeah. Oh wait, Basangarov has a brother or something. The first <laughs> yeah, two pictures have the same last name. 
and they both start their names both start with kh kate kassan and kusain they're the jermel and jermal charlo of wow wait are they from ukraine yeah Oh, or their box rec lists both Ukraine and Russia, which is strange because you'd think if they were Russia, they'd probably stay there. But who Umar Somev kind of looks like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And okay. Ruslan Sheklev, quite a hairy chest. Yeah, he does. Umar does you look can like brush Chavez. That. And it's funny, he's wearing the red, red, green, and white, so yeah. it almost looks like the Mexican colors. He's, yeah, his he's stomach, only going for stomach like... is all sunken in like Chavez Jr.'s when he was draining himself to make 160. <laughs> now, the main thing I liked was their Boombox Promotions logo, which looked like it was made in about five minutes <laughs> Photoshop. It, I, I don't know about Photoshop. Not this even is, Photoshop, MS paint. paint. Yeah, straight up MS Paint. Uh, yeah, anyway, I think we can move on. But yeah, that's oh, what let I... Let me read this to you. About... This, okay. is from, this is from the, the, the website. Coming soon! Bay Sangrov versus Brandt, February 15, 2019. 21-year-old Chechen boxer Hassan Bay Sangarov, it's literally Hassan, will okay. fight WBA regular champion Rob Brandt. Bay Sangarov has 17 wins and 17 fights. Brandt has 24 wins and one lose. In October, the American won the WBA regular title. Win point-wise, the Japanese Ryota Murata. <laughs> this, uh... this has now become my most anticipated fight of the year. I need to see this boombox promotions. I need to see their label on the banner. Uh, anyway, their YouTube. Uh, I'm on their Instagram page. They have a sweet video of a dragon. Oh, nice! Dragons aren't real, though. I don't know if they know oh. that, but okay. That's why I don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Nico Hernandez and boombox. We're having a little to bit too much fun here. I think maybe we should rein this in a little bit. I, I mean, look, who, nobody knows what we're talking about. Like this serves as a preview for the fight. I mean, the best case scenario for this fight. <laughs> this constitutes a fight preview. Agreed. This the best case scenario <laughs> is like Rob Brandt wins, and and then oh Jesus, that is really a, a dragon. Um, uh, so Rob Brandt wins, and Golovkin looks at all the opponent options and says, "Oh, Rob Brandt is the easiest one for me to fight, and it has the biggest platform." Well, technically, not maybe, but it has one of the bigger platforms. So I will go that route, and he signs with ESPN. He fights Rob Brandt and lives happily ever after. Um, you know, otherwise, Rob Brandt's still middle of the pack. He's solid, but he's still middle of the pack. He's clearly not in the top three. Those guys seem to be whoever your top three is. They seem to be funny. You, I think you left off Billy Joe Saunders, by the way. That's a real shame. Oh, I did. I Excuse me. Yeah, I did completely leave him out. So, yeah, rounding out the four and five would be Andre and Saunders. It's probably – never mind. Um, but anyway, so wh- where's Charlo? Three. Oh, sorry. I, I got lost on my count. So he's four, and then, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to split hairs over anyway. this. I, this was not a well-considered power ranking. Yeah, let's we can keep moving. Okay. Um do you think uh, Kason Bay Sangarov uses nasal sprays? What what on earth is that a reference to? Billy Joe Saunders testing positive. And oh, saying oh. It was a nasal spray. Sorry, I'm running uh, on fumes. Does yeah. uh, Javante Davis versus Hugo Ruiz? We'll talk about the undercards in just a little bit. Um, Javante Davis versus Hugo Ruiz. What do you expect to see out of Javante Davis live at the StubHub Center? I will be there. Please do not rain. Please do not be cold. It's outdoors. Uh, us from California, anything below like 69 degrees, and that is troubling for us. So um, what do you expect to see out of Javante Davis? I 
am hoping the fight looks uh, a lot more like his fights against Jesus Cuer and Liam Walsh than it does against the Francisco Fonseca fight. And by that, I mean, like, even if he fights with both hands tied behind his back, he'll still win. I mean, the, the difference in talent is so significant. Um, but if he, he just needs to be focused and disciplined. You know, people give Davis a lot of shit for being undisciplined, but he really only has that one mark against him. You know, well, that, that was is that. Francisco Fonseca fight where he came in overweight, lost his title, and then took too long to get the stoppage. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, I, I, I give him a pass for that. He said he was sick. He looks sick. Yeah, well, I mean, there were a lot of rumors that he'd been partying leading up to Maymac. And, you know, yeah, he said he was sick. So you know, what? who knows? Make, be making, in making weight sucks, you know. But um, yeah, and in the fight, he didn't look super focused. It looked like he was playing with his food a little bit. Anyway, um, any version of Gervonta Davis should look should be Hugo Ruiz. I just want to see him just be in there, be focused, you know. And to to be to be fair, for virtually his entire career, he's done that. He really only does have that one demerit against him. Well, what about you? Is there really more to get out of this? I mean, uh, I just really am not going to carry water for Hugo Ruiz. I mean, he's a late replacement and not a great one. I think. Javante Davis has to be spectacular. I, I, I expect him to be, and I and I think he has to be. Like he's got to knock out Ruiz, and he's got to make a statement. Like he can't go in there, and you know everything that we're talking about on Sunday is like, well, Davis was flat, or he couldn't do it, or even like even if he struggles a little bit, like he can't even afford for people to make up the excuse that dude, this is a last second replacement. Like he had to adjust, and Ruiz is bigger. Like Davis polarizing and people are looking for every opportunity they can to criticize him. And so he's got to go in there and just blast Ruiz out of there, you know, five or six rounds, get him out of there. I think that's what it'll, it'll take. And, uh, and then move on to his next fight, which is probably not going to be that competitive. You know, anytime you hear a fighter say, I want to fight three times or more in a year, that means they don't want a tough fight or they may want a tough fight, but they won't get one. Because as we've seen with Lomachenko, when you take tough fights, it, it spreads out your timeline because those fights take more out of you. Same with Golovkin, same with Kovalev. Those guys, once they started upping their level of opposition, they fought more infrequently, and that's not a coincidence. They didn't get together and say, we're joining the club. It's literally like the f- physicalness of it. Um, anything more to say, or should we move on? Um, No, no, no. I think I'm good. I just realized uh, Alberto Machado is fighting next weekend. Somehow I totally missed that. Oh, surprise, surprise. Alberto Machado, he does fight this Saturday head-to-head with Javante Davis. He will be fighting Andrew Canicio. Canicio. Hey, man. That's how they pronounce it on the broadcast anyway. Do you think anybody knows that other than you? (laughs) Okay. I I feel like I've seen him. Well, by the way, yeah, you have it misspelled also, which is why why you're pronouncing it. But yeah, I I have uh, memories of seeing him watch uh, Ronnie Rios on – Fox uh, <laughs> Fox FS1 card, uh, excuse me, Golden Boy on FS1 card years ago. Yeah, he's he's been around. He's been in the mix for a while. Um, he fought recently, and I think he lost recently. Yeah, he fought Jojo Diaz. And yeah, got he got knocked stopped. out by Jojo Diaz a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, that, and that, that's how I remember him. And it's like, dude, what are we doing? Um, anyway, yeah, he's going to fight Alberto Machado. How much longer do you think Golden Boy can get away with Machado fighting the level of opposition that he's fought. I mean, you look at the last several opponents from Machado, and it's like Andrew Cancio, Yundale Evans, uh, Rafael Mensa, guys who have like okay records, but like 
you know, they aren't good. Look, I just I just gave the explanation about Rob Brandt. He's a guy with a title who can get a check from the network. That's exactly the same slot that he's in here. You know, Ray, Va- Ray Vargas also on the card. Another thing, you know, they've got they, they're promoting it as two world title fights. And, you know, it's really basically stay busy fights for both of them. You know, this is the worst version of what, you know, the, d- no, by the way, is this even on DAZN? Yeah. OK, OK. Uh, yeah, BoxRec doesn't have that listed. But anyway, I mean, this is the worst version when we said, you know, the worst version of what DAZN could be. Like speaking of uh, the Golden Boy deal with Canelo, it's like, great, you get Canelo, but then you also get um, a bunch of Golden Boy fights, which are completely below the level of being even watchable. I mean, if you want to give them a little credit, you say, fine, those fights don't matter, but they have a few undefeated prospects on the undercard. They're, you know, trying to bring those guys up, get them some airtime. But when you look at those guys, <laughs> not really that appealing either. You know, there, there are no blue chippers in that mix either. So um, I probably won't watch this at all. I, I guess an announcement for what it's worth. I currently have suspended my DAZN subscription. Uh, maybe that will make me look um, <laughs> not like the impartial observer I should be. But um, as of right now, I'm planning to resubscribe for uh, the World Boxing Super Series if it does come back or can I It ain't coming it. back. Anyway, Can't fight your free. thoughts on this fight, this card, current state of being a subscriber to DAZN, any of the above. Tom's like, we got 25 minutes till kickoff. You are not going to even try this conversation about the World Boxing Super Series. Save it for a daily or something. Um, yeah, I think they're going to, Machado's going to fight this level of guy and maybe a little better. Um, but similarly until what, uh, from, from, of what he's fought recently, as long as they can get away with it, like he's still really young. Same with Davis, who's fought much better opposition so far in his career. Um, than Machado's Machado. 28. What are you talking about? Oh, really? Sorry to blow your take. Oh, maybe I got it mixed up. Whatever. He, Vargas is also 28. He's also not good. So as long as they can get away with him not fighting good guys, then he has time to develop and maybe get good and get popular so that he could turn that belt over to Jojo Diaz in the near future. If Jojo Diaz can ever get his act together. If not, Ryan Garcia will be taking Alberto Machado's title coming soon. That's what I think, at least, because Machado is just... I don't know, there's just something so underwhelming about him. He just got some power, but like everything else is just kind of basic. Um, you know, he's never going to be a pound for pound level guy and Golden Boy's just going to cash him out as long as he can, you know. If Puerto Rican fans are willing to show up and watch him fight, then I think they're good with that. Um, and then Ray Vargas is on the undercard. Uh, he's in a very similar situation. Like Vargas isn't that good. Um, trained by Nacho Berestein is not doing much for him because he's been pretty limited. Like you're not that good. If you struggle with one of the McDonald's and he did just barely beat him. So he will fight Franklin Manzanilla on the undercard, which is uh, again, like Franklin's how many losses does he have? Let's just check the box rack right here. Franklin has four losses as does Cancio, you know, this, these are these are two world title fights, by the way. And yeah, well, one one also one knockout loss each. Yeah, I mean these are just not not great not great fights. I I'm not trying to shoot on zone, and I'm not trying to shoot on Golden Boy. These just aren't very good fights. And so if we're looking at the undercards of like you know non title fights, which um, who are we watching out for this weekend? 
I think the guys to watch out for Juan Geraldes on the Davis versus Ruiz undercard. Um, Geraldes fought, um, I believe it was on the Mayweather McGregor undercard, and he looked pretty good. Um, shockingly good, actually. I was not expecting it. If I remember correctly, he's actually a, a pretty solid boxer. Um, yeah, definitely a boxer. Uh, he beat a guy I like named uh, Jose Miguel Borrego. I think that was actually yeah, on the Borrego. PBC on Fox card prior to the, the main kickoff. Yeah, yeah, he's okay. I, I, I don't think he has that high of a ceiling, but, you know, he's something. He, he's another guy. He's 28, you know, 28-year-old prospect. You know, we, we know... Listeners know what we think about that, but and yeah, he's, he's he's okay. And he's fighting Eddie Ramirez, who was one of the prospects, then gets knocked out in the first round by Antonio DeMarco and then dropped a bunch of times, loses a decision by like over 10 points to Arjenes Mendez. So obviously this is not a good op, uh, opponent for Geraldes, but uh, he's a guy to look out for. I don't think this guy's going to be challenging Spence anytime soon. But um, if we're looking at guys to focus on this weekend from the undercards that won't, or I actually think this might be televised. Um, this is uh, one guy to watch. And then on the top ranked card is Michaela Mayer, who uh, is... Mario Barrios, by the way. I think not, he's not... been televised, isn't he? Mario Barrios? I think, yeah, I think he's been televised. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but obviously, yeah, Barrios is a guy that PBC's bringing up. Um, I'm just not convinced by him. I've seen him fight on TV. I've seen him fight in person. And like every time, I'm just kind of underwhelmed by him. Uh, I don't. I I'd just say he's 23. He's he's has like a six fight knockout streak. He's a guy who really, you know, to me, early on we were seeing him very, very, very young, and I feel like he's grown into his body at this point. I mean, he's five ten and a half fighting at 140, and he's starting to develop some good power. I I think this is the point in his career we're really going to find out just how good he is. So I, I actually am point. interested to see how he does on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you got a 23-year-old who's got 20-something fights and he's undefeated, you got to watch out for these guys. And um, that's a good point. You know, he's definitely growing into himself, and guys can mature, guys can turn things around um, as they get older, for sure. So Barrios is someone to watch. On the top-ranked card, Michaela Mayer, who I believe um, – is probably the most talented female fighter in the world. I think she is the most exciting female fighter in the world to watch. I think very soon she will be the number one female fighter in the world. And I know that Katie Taylor exists, and I know that Clarissa Shields also exists. And um, Mayer's just a little different, I think. I don't know if you feel that way. I don't know if people really are paying attention that much, but I, that's how I feel about this one. And I think Joshua Greer is a really interesting prospect. How do you feel about him? I am having a hard time picking his uh, remembering who that is. I, I feel bad. Very quick comment on Michaela Mayer. I, I'm less convinced about her. I think she's a tier below when you think of like Amanda Serrano, Amanda, Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, people like that. And Michaela Mayer has even kind of said as much, um, saying like, you know, to some extent she's just trying to be humble, but, you know, that she considers people like Katie Taylor to be a level above. And really her, her competition has not been that great. You know, it's like when you look at Clarissa Shields, every fight out she's fighting the best she can possibly face. Um, you know, fighting world champions, former world champions, unifying, winning Moving world titles in multiple weight. divisions. Yeah, it's like Michaela Mayer is kind of like, it's kind of like produced for TV. You know, like they'll kind of try to get an opponent who looks good enough to fight on TV, but really hasn't accomplished that much. You know, in her two fights ago, she fought a fighter with 10 losses. I, I'm not as sold on her. I'll just say quickly, though, I, I'm just, just broad comment on the top rank fight. 
looking forward to the Rob Brandt fight. You know, I just shed on the the DAZN card. I would say conversely, the the top rank card. I'm looking forward to the Rob Brandt fight. Like that's good. I'll be tuning in. Like that to me is good enough. Good enough main event. I'll, I'll check out the undercard too. You know. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't. I definitely don't remember who Joshua Greer is. All right. Well, I think he's good. Um, I I legit cool. think he's good. So, does that mean he's going to be a world champion someday? I don't know. Maybe not. But I think he's pretty good. Um, and I've been wrong about prospects before, certainly. So take that with a grain of salt, however you want to take it. And uh, unlike you, I will be watching all three cards, unfortunately. It, um, sometimes that <laughs> well, is, that is a gift for, and a, a Thank you for curse. suffering through that. I'll look forward to your reporting. Um, but I'm definitely most excited for the Showtime card. I, I would really, I really want to see how Javante Davis looks. Um you know, the right performance could turn this guy. It could take him to the next level. And uh, I've, I'm not looking forward to the Dazen card. I'll tell you that much. Uh, Ray Vargas is one of my least favorite fighters, out, like out of all fighters. One of my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I've had to sit through a few of his fights on undercards. Um, or, or at least one that yeah. I remember on the, the Kodo uh, Saddam Ali undercard. Um, yeah, I don't know. The... No, that was an Azat. Who cares? I've... Yeah, the yeah, no one. Zero people who are listening care about that, if anyone's still listening. Yeah, I mean, the Showtime card, I'll check it out. I mean, I'm the Erickson Lubinisha Smith fight, definitely a curiosity. Um, yeah, Juan Geraldez is okay. I, I'm not as pumped about him. Not the worst opponent in Eddie Ramirez. Mario Barrios, uh, Mario Barrios is, is also looking forward to that. But, I mean, big, big buzzkill. Abner Mara's dropped out. I mean, this went from being like a, a fight and a card I was really looking forward to a card where it's like, I'll, I'll tune in and there are some fights, which I want to see, but yeah, the, the level of excitement way, way down, unfortunately. Also, thank you for listening. If you are still listening, if you're still listening, just let us know. Hey, I listened to the whole thing. That would be nice. We gone almost two hours. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the Super Bowl. Um, Tom, thanks for coming on. I look forward to your take on the days in card next week. Yeah, always, <laughs> always have to be on. We've got some, you know, n- no home runs next weekend, but a bunch of fun fights that I'm looking forward to. And just a lot of interesting stuff brewing in the world of boxing. Very interesting. A lot of news to follow in the next few weeks. Yep. Uh, we should know where Golovkin is going any day now. So thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Came in the game with a key. key. My pockets blew up, Monique. Monique. Ooh, she got that perfect physique. Ooh. I'll sip a bit to her cheeks. Now that I'm getting this money, I'm fucking neat. Thought that they trying to get karma. This is a good week. I been stacking them ends and I'm snatching that rape in the morning. Rape. I was the nigga locked up in the cell and they treated me like I was normal. normal. Taking the love for the blessings. I just let the mega dressing up for